Is that better? There we go. Accidentally hit the switch when I'm putting it on my belt there. All right. So paying a little tribute here, I just really appreciate this uh, emphasis that we have had this whole morning on the idea that it's really what's in the heart that matters. The same things can happen to you. You can have failure, you can have success, but what's in your heart will determine whether you're proud or humble. Whether you have gratitude or self-righteousness makes all the difference. So I appreciate that. And also I noticed, maybe I'll just leave the hands on the bottom there because I have room for that. Also noticed this morning that there are different size hands here. And so whether you are big or little, whether you're old or young, whether you're male or female, um, it all makes a difference whether you have your heart at the right place. And whether what you're doing with your hands is effective. Now I have another word for you to think about. How many know what word? How many realize what, how many can give me a definition? Ooh, not so many. Okay. It is a little bit of an unusual word and maybe perhaps you've uh, already figured out that I like words and maybe even unusual words particularly. Uh, can anybody give me a definition for memoir? This is the word memoir. No one gives me a definition. Or are you just all... Uh, he had his hand up earlier. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a collection of memories of um, happenings in someone's life. Good. So often when we have... Um, Maybe outstanding individuals, some famous person. After they die, someone writes their memoir about all the memories that they have of this important person, what they did and what they said, and sort of get a life picture of them. Okay? Now, those memoirs are always uh, somewhat biased to the writers, whether they want to portray this person as really great or whether they would like to just kind of tear them down and sort of show that they weren't really all that some people thought they were. So we have different kinds of memoirs. But uh, this morning I'd like you to think about memoirs a little bit. And although I did not find that word in the Bible, uh, certainly the idea is there, Okay. I don't know that the scriptures ever used that particular word. At least, I didn't actually look in the concordance, but I don't think it's in the Bible. But it is a factual account of one's life. The story is told of a, a very wealthy man who uh, went overseas uh, to do some business or whatever. And in those days, they didn't have cell phones and everything. Uh, you know, that you stay in contact every day, you know. Nowadays, you can just, you know, make contact. But in those days uh, of this very wealthy man, he went overseas. And, of course, that meant disconnected from the people that he knew until he gets back. And uh, while he was overseas, his uh, his uh, journey was delayed. I'm not sure exactly what all happened, but for whatever reasons he was, he was late in returning home again, later than he expected, later than he told the people he'd be back. And people began to um, assume that something ill had transpired and he died and that they would probably never see him again. This real wealthy man had a lot of stuff. And, of course, you can't just let stuff, you know, be unattended. So eventually they decided that they needed to deal with the stuff that he had left behind. And they began to and they decided to hold a memorial service for him and so on. And and the the papers carried a a memoir of this very wealthy man. 
Well, as the story goes, this man uh, then suddenly returned. After all these things had been done and after he had had his memorial service and they, everybody thought he was dead and they read his obituary and they read his memor- memoir in the newspaper. And so he got to read his own obituary and his own memoir. And as he read the things that people said about him, he was scandalized. Because you see, this man was a very wealthy man and he was more concerned about himself than he was everybody else. And so he was a tightwad. And he was portrayed that way. People told what they remembered about him. And as he read those memoirs, he decided that isn't the legacy he wanted to leave. And so he changed and his life right there and he began to give away his wealth and his riches. And he, he did this and that and all kinds of things. And I forget the man's name anymore. I wish I remembered that. I'm not sure if it was Ford or Rockefeller or somebody like that. Uh, I don't remember the name. But he made a foundation and he made, you know, he decided to do good things with his money before he died. That's what happens when people stop to think about their whole life. When they stop to think about the way they have lived. And so this morning I'd like you to think about what is the memoir that you are writing about yourself. Because sometime there will be a memoir. More on that later. Okay, change of thought a little bit. What is the most important thing in life? What do people seek for? What is the universal desire of men's hearts and women's? And that answer could be uh, happiness. You know, the people universally want to be happy. Think about that. People universally want to be happy. To have good life. To have nice things. It's kind of the way we're wired, isn't it? Well, there is another very wealthy man. This man was a wise man, rather than the foolish man I first of all mentioned here. There was another very wealthy man. And uh, one of the things he decided to do with all of his wealth was to stop and consider and study and find out what was the very best way to live? Wouldn't you like to know what the very best way to live is? Maybe you've already guessed who I'm talking about. This man actually wrote a memoir about himself. A lot of memoirs are written by other people, you know. But this man wrote a memoir about himself. His name, of course, was Solomon. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'd like to take some thoughts from Ecclesiastes this morning. Perhaps you have found the book of Ecclesiastes to be a little, uh, how shall I say this? Some people read Ecclesiastes and find it to be rather uh, downhearted discouraged, maybe feeling like there's no purpose for anything because some of the things, some of the verbiage in this thing says, you know, that behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit and there's no profit under the sun and, and you know, you do your best and you find out that it's bunk. 
And so it's kind of like a, you know, kind of like a real downer. That's how some people read Ecclesiastes. But this morning, I'd like you to see something a little different than that. I'd like you to see how Ecclesiastes is the memoir of a man who tried everything humanly and what he discovered about it. And what he discovered was real and strengthening and that which was good. You see, this man, Solomon, was very wealthy. God just poured out upon him wealth untold and gave him even a very, very wise heart because, and I know you know all this story already, but because at the beginning of Solomon's reign, when God pulled him up and gave him the position of king, which is a very, you know, awesome place, you know, to be king over a country. And God came to him and God said, Solomon, you're now king. What do you want? What shall I bless you with? You know, that's how God is. God's just ready to bless people, you know. He's just a pretty good God. Even though a lot of people don't think so. Which reminds me, of another verse that I was going to say at the beginning of this in relation to Sunday school. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and what else? That's right. A rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's how God is. And you must know that if you're going to deal with God, if you're going to come into relationship with God, you must see two things. You must, first of all, see that God is real. And you must see that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that sounds a little like a prosperity gospel. Although I react to prosperity gospel, too, a little, you know, because your righteousness is not judged by the things that you possess. Okay. Nevertheless, there is a prosperity in being in tune with God. Always. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's not to say that the things that the, God, the prosperity gospel preachers say are, are necessarily true. I, I react to that as well. The fact that you can own a Cadillac is no, no uh, proof of your righteousness. There's lots of wicked men that own Cadillacs, you know, and other stuff like that. Houses and lands. But God does reward those who diligently seek him and rewards them primarily and first of all in the heart. And we studied some of that this morning. And there will be more in the future, more than, uh, than we can ever even imagine at this point, I believe. Okay, so now back to Solomon. Solomon had all of this wealth because when God came to him and asked him, what do you want, Solomon? Solomon said, oh God, what I want is wisdom. You have given me a tremendous task to do. A task that is bigger than me. A task that far exceeds my abilities. To be king over your people is an awesome place to be. I am supposed to lead your people? How can I do that? God, if you want to give me anything, I want wisdom. I want wisdom. And God was touched with that. God said, Solomon... I'm going to give you your request. I'm going to make you the wisest man on earth. Because that's what your heart desires. And I am so impressed that you didn't ask for money and gold and lands and everything else. I'm so impressed that you were not selfish with all your attitudes and your requests. And because I 
I'm so satisfied and so happy about that. You know what? I'm going to give you all those things also. That's how good God is. And he gave Solomon more gold than anyone else had ever had. More silver. He made silver and gold to be like stones in Jerusalem, it says. And he had wealth just pouring into him. His pockets just ran with money. There's a lot of people who wish they had that. Most people who wish they had that. Maybe they don't know what they're wishing for. Well, anyway, Solomon had this. And in his memoirs, and if you have already turned to Ecclesiastes, I'd like to direct your attention now to verse 16 of chapter 1. Solomon wrote this about himself. He said, I communed with my own heart and I said, Lo, I am come to a great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart and great my heart and great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. That was his pursuit. And then he said, but in and of itself, it didn't fill the void. That in itself is not the answer. I'm putting that in my own words a little bit. That in itself, if that were your goal, what you would find is vexation. You would find you could never measure it. He went on. Chapter 2. He said, you know, I'm going to put myself into figuring out what would really make people happy? And, you know, I guess you've heard laughter is good medicine. Well, he said, I'll, I'll check that out. I'll see with, I'll prove my heart with mirth and enjoy pleasure. And you know what? Laughing all the time, it gets old. Just joking all the time, gets old. It's not there. Well, I'll try something else. I'll try wine. You know, the jolly time. You know, you drink and you have laughing and have a good time. You know, sounded like maybe that would be a way to be happy. And he said, nah, it wasn't there. You know what happens when you drink too much? You get a hangover, right? It wasn't there. It wasn't there. Well, then he tried farms and gardens. It reminds me of one man that they asked him. uh, He was not a farmer. Always wished he was a farmer. They asked him what he would do if somebody gave him a million dollars. He said, well, I'd buy a farm and I'd farm until it was all. (laughs) Well, farming is all right. I mean, I'm not, you know. Knocking that, that's a nice profession. But farming isn't it. Solomon tried it. Solomon had the biggest farm you could ever wish for. Solomon had acres and acres and acres of land and he did every crop you can imagine on it. He tried everything. He tried vineyards and orchards and... Yeah. Solomon tried it all. Uh, maybe you'd think about the Better Homes and Gardens, you know? You know the Better Homes and Garden magazine? How it, you know, pictures everything. And Do you ever look at those magazines and wonder and think, uh, I wonder if I could make my house like that, you know? Just, you know, picture, picture perfect. Well, I can assure you, that your happiness does not rest in a better homes and gardens house. Okay? Solomon tried it. Solomon had the best estate you could ever wish for. He had it. 
and it was paid. He wasn't in debt. He didn't have worries about how he's going to pay for it. It was paid. He tried it. His conclusion was, it's not there. We went down to Longwood Gardens here the other day. Yesterday, I guess it was. I like to go there sometimes because it's pretty. We did that sort of our kind of an anniversary thing that's coming up. We spent a little time there looking at the beauty of Longwood Gardens. I suppose many of you have been there already. How many have been to Longwood Gardens? Yeah, it's kind of pretty, isn't it? Money. All kinds of money spent in that place. I mean, when I go there, I always think of Solomon. I think every time I think, you know, this is what Pierre Dupont, I think his name was, did with his money. He did sort of like Solomon did, but I think Solomon outdid him. I really think he did. Solomon had even more than DuPont had, I believe. But this was DuPont's, you know, claim to fame, you might say. And he made pools and fountains and he had music and he had dancers and he had, you know, a lot of hoopla. And now while there's some interest in things like that and beauty and flowers and, yeah, I guess he has about all the flowers you can think of and Imported trees from all over the place. If you're interested in trees, there's probably every tree that you can imagine there, at least that will grow in this climate. Homes, gardens, pools, fountains, lights on the fountains, you know, all that, all that. I can assure you that's not where happiness is. Well, you can enjoy that for a day. You go down there and say, well, you know, that's really pretty. Don't set your heart on that. Don't go home and try to do that. You know why? It's empty. At the end of the day, it does not fulfill you. It will not make you happy as we sometimes think it would. No, it's not in those fountains or or even the conservatory you know every time i go to that place and look at the conservatory i think wow you know i just really like being in here you know with all these flowers and everything you know and yeah you know what that's not where happiness is it's not where it is as a quest for life even beauty is vain. There is a place for beauty. There is a place for enjoyment. But it's not the whole story. Solomon tried servants. Oh, if I could have just everybody do all the work for me, you know. And he had multiple servants for everything. He had men servants and maid servants. and He didn't have to do any of the work. Tell somebody else how to do it. Just, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. You know, and it, and it got done. But that didn't fill him. Solomon tried singing. Oh, you know, good. Some of you like music pretty good. I know that. You know, that's good. Uh, music has a definite place. You know what? Music as a quest for fullness will leave you empty. It will. You can study music to the nth degree and you will not have accomplished. Solomon tried it. He had instruments, singers of every kind, musical instruments. And he said, nah, it wasn't there. He tried education. You know, some people just think that if they just had more education, you know, education. Well, education has its place. I'm not knocking that. I mean, there is, you know, it's knowledge is powerful. But it's not the fulfillment. And if you had a master's degree in everything there was, 
I think maybe Solomon had that, a master's degree in everything there was. And he found it empty. Wives. Some people, some young men just think that if they just get married, you know, they're going to really be happy. Getting married is wonderful. I I tried that. I'm, I'm glad I have a wife. But I can tell you, that's not where the happiness is. If you get married thinking that that's what's going to make you happy, I think you might be in for some surprises. Okay? I think you will find that not everything in marriage is, you know, happiness to the core. Although, I have a very good marriage and a very wonderful wife. Solomon had more wives than there are days in the year, I believe. So, if getting wives, a wife or wives is fulfillment, he should have had the most that anybody could ever have. But I don't think he had it. Solomon tried gold and silver and gems and the like. You could say that Solomon tried it all. And what did he discover? What he discovered was that actually having more means more work. Interesting. You know, sometimes the possessions we have own us instead of we own the possessions. The more you have, the more you have to take care of. You know? And so as Solomon began to think about all of that, he began to think, well, maybe maybe the answer is in minimalism. And he also tried that. He decided he's going to undo all the work he did. I mean, after all, he's going to deaccumulate, de- you know, just get rid of all this stuff. You know what? That didn't make him happy either. He tried that too. What he discovered was that life was far more complex than that. Life is just beyond you in every way. And that getting it perfect is impossible. The ideal is always beyond you. Always. You can never, never get everything. It's just impossible. That's an important takeaway for you. Think about this. If what you're doing is just pursuing the things of this life, possessions and happiness, you will come up dry, just as Solomon said. It will be Vanity to you, meaning empty. It will even become a vexation to you because there will be so many responsibilities that come upon you and so many things that you have to take care of. It will be a frustration to you rather than a fulfillment. That's if your heart is set on the things of this world. Well, in this pursuit, Solomon did come across quite a few things. I'd like to highlight just a few things that he did say that were that he learned as we go along. Chapter 2, verse 11, he said, I looked upon all the works of my hands and he concluded there was no profit under the sun. In other words, that's not where it's at. Even though he had tried everything. So here's a little wisdom for you. It isn't in things. He wrote that down for us. Somehow or other, it seems that even in our modern day, we have a hard time getting a hold of that. We all still think that if we just had certain things, we'd be happy. Isn't that true? You know, if I, you know, no, no profit in that under the sun. All right. 
So what would you go for? What could you? How do you how do you bring this together? Verse 24 there of chapter 2. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul to enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. In other words, back off from it. Just enjoy the life you have and don't press to try to make it the ultimate because you're never going to get the ultimate. But enjoy what God gave you because God gave it to you and be thankful. Now, that's simple enough, isn't it? But can you really get a hold of that? Think about that. Are you actually living life that way that you just enjoy what God has given you? And take it with gratitude. Not striving to just, ah, ah, more, more. Just take it as a gift from God. Chapter 3, verse 1. To everything there is a season and to every purpose and any time to every purpose under heaven. There's time to plant, time to be born, time to kill, time to die. Time to weep, a time to laugh, and it goes down through all kinds of things. Take every shade of life as it unfolds to you and find out what God has in it for you for the moment. For there is a time and a place for everything. Now, some people get all bent out of shape about the things that happen in their lives because sometimes things happen, right? Sometimes things actually happen that you don't choose. Is that right? How many of you have found that things happen that you didn't choose? Everybody get your hand up because (laughs) y'all, I know, it's a universal fact. Things happen. Things you didn't choose. They happen. All right? There is a time for all of those things. It's a season that you go through. It's a time that God reveals to you a different form of the life that you have been given. A time for you to study To understand what God is doing. Even with those sorrows. Even with those things that you would never ask for. Never choose. Even the death of your favorite person. Even the sorrows of wayward children. That's a real sorrow. There is a time for those things. There is something that God is doing in your heart, and it's precious. There is a time for all of those things. Give God thanks for it. Learn the things that God has for you in that shade of life. There is a time for everything. Chapter 3, verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he hath set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning unto the end. Now, maybe you can't find the beauty in everything. Uh, Keep looking. Because once you have gotten the attitude that you should have, you will find It is beautiful in its time. Even the bad things. Yes, even the bad things. If you look, if you study, you will find God has made everything beautiful in its time. Maybe not the way you would have chosen it. Probably not the way you have chosen it. And the last part of that verse, no man 
can find out the work of God from the beginning until the end. There are some things that just kind of get beyond us in every way. And you will never quite figure out what God is doing. Okay? So there are some things you don't have to explain. Okay? You just have to accept them. And see what you can understand about them. And be glad about the things you can understand. And leave the things that you don't understand with God. Because you will not find it out from beginning to end. You will not be able to write a full definition of all that God's doing. That's beyond you. Verse 13. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It's a gift from God. And every man should know that I know that whatsoever God does it, it shall be forever. And nothing, I like this part, and nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before him. I want you to know for surety this morning that God is a sovereign God and he is in control of everything that happens in your life and he makes it good, whether or not it feels like that. Can you accept that? I know that everything that God does is perfect. You couldn't do it better than God does. And you couldn't take anything from what God does to make it better. If you have faith, you can believe that. And he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's flip back a few more pages. Chapter 5, verse 2. Don't be rash with your mouth and don't let your heart utter hasty things. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. So, better stop your mouth sometimes and think instead of speak. Is that wisdom? Yeah, I think so. Unfortunately, some of us need it really bad. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Yeah, you've figured that out already, haven't you? Chapter 7, a good name is rather to be chosen than precious ointment. Yeah, reputation. It's a very valuable thing. Let your reputation be good. What if somebody ruins your reputation? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes even a good reputation, though you have tried the best you could, you get ruined. And sometimes not your own fault. Just don't let it be your fault. God will take care of the rest. Uh, chapter 10. Here's one I'd like to pick out. You know, chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for good, for wisdom and honor. This comes down the line of a little bit about reputation. You know, while reputation is a very valuable thing and you should try to possess a good reputation, a reputation for wisdom and honor. Do you know the thing that hurts that reputation and honor the quickest? The quickest? Just a little folly. Just a little folly. Just a little stupidness. And your reputation could go down the drain faster than you can say Jack Robinson's. It doesn't take much. Just like it doesn't take, someone said, just like it doesn't take very much to make the ointment of the apothecary, you know, perfume, if you will, if you will you know, somebody gathers together stuff and makes a nice perfume and it's, ah, that's so nice. Well, the flies like it too. And the flies come in there and they get stuck in there. And the first thing you know, they die in there. And then they begin to rot and it don't smell so good no more. And you pitch it. 
That's what you do when the flies get in the apothecary. You pitch it. It's breathless. Because it no longer smells good. Well, Solomon said, take heed that you do the best you can in your life and that you don't let folly into your life. Because it doesn't take much folly until you will lose your reputation and people will just discount you. And if you discount you because of your folly, it's your own fault. <clears throat> Rejoice, O young man, in the day in thy youth. This is uh, chapter 11, verse 9. And let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh for childhood and youth are vanity. I'm going to put that in my own words for you. Since you cannot get everything that's possible, you can't do all that Solomon has already tried because you aren't wealthy enough to do that. Since Solomon has already figured out that you can't be the all things to all people and the amen and every, you know, the alpha and the omega. And, you know, since you can't be God himself, <laughs> that's what people try to be, right? Instead of that, take life one day at a time. Enjoy it. Do the things that you can give thanks for. Really get the most of life that you can. Don't just toss it and say, well, it's worthless. I, I mean, uh, we're not talking about being gray. You know what I mean? No, enjoy life. Life was meant to be enjoyed. So enjoy life and be as happy as you can. Just remember one thing, that while you're pursuing happiness, don't do it like the Epicureans. You know, the Epicureans were, you know, all focused on happiness. You do anything that feels good. No, not anything that feels good. Because remember, at the end, you are accountable. Before God. You are accountable before God. So. Go ahead and enjoy life. And rejoice and be glad. And, and live life to the full. But remember. Of all things remember. You will give account. To your creator. So therefore put away. The things that cause sorrow. The wrong things. The evil things that you do. Cut them out of your life because you're going to give account. Reminds me of the verse that says that every man that hath this hope in him does what? He purifieth himself. Yeah. And that brings me to Solomon's conclusion. Verse 13. And 14, the last two verses of Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment. And every secret thing. Whether other people know about it or not. Whether it be good or whether it be bad. It's all going to come to judgment. Remember that. Okay? Remember that. Reminds me of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation in chapter 20. And you can go there if you like. Chapter 20. Let's see, flip over here. Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15 says, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, 
stand before God. What an awesome day. They stood before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, not the book of life, the other books, according to their works. So according to this verse here, there is a memoir being written about every one of you and everyone else. There's a story that is being written. And one day you will stand before God, the creator. And the book will be open. And all the things that you did will be unfolded. Yeah. Now, memoirs that are written today, as I had said earlier, are often biased. And if you were writing your own memoir, I know what you would do. You would put certain things in and certain things not in. Right? Right? If you were writing a memoir about your life and you wanted everybody to read it, would you write every single thing down that you ever did? How many of you would? No hands? Okay. No, I wouldn't either. See, that's how biased we are. But I'm telling you this morning that on God's word, I believe, the memoir that's being written isn't going to be written by you. It's, I mean, you are writing it with your deeds, but it's being recorded and it's being recorded accurately. It's being recorded unbiased. It's being recorded unabridged. Nothing left out. That's an awesome thought. It's being recorded neither guilted or tarnished. It's not embellished. It's not gold-plated. It's not made to look better than it is. And it isn't tarnished. It's not made to look worse than it is. It's the accurate account of your life. Yeah, that memoir is being written about everything that you do. Are you like that rich man that came back from his journey and said, oh my, that's not the legacy I wanted to leave. Sometimes it's good for us to think about that. And put away from us the wickedness that is in us. Now, of most important, I need to read the last, the next verse here yet. Where is our line? Right. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the word of God. And what I see out of this is that the most important thing that could ever be is that your name is written in the book of life. See to it that your name is written in the book of life. Because you know what? That makes all the difference of what is written in the books. You see, if your name is in the book of life, you have given evidence, you have changed your life, you have followed after King Jesus. And that makes all the difference. Because the things that God brought into your life and allowed you to experience were therefore your learning, therefore your encouragements, or therefore your changing. And those people whose lives are not found in the book of life, when you miss that important part, 
everything that you have done becomes a testimony of who you are without God. And every one of you without God will come up short. I don't care how good you've lived. You will come up short without God. And those who have come up short without God will be cast into the lake of fire, destroyed with all evil because you have not come up to what God intended for you to be. That's tough truth, but it's the truth. Okay? Now, those of you whose book, whose names are written in the book of life, and I hope that's most of you or all of you, for those of you who have been, who have met Jesus face to face, not physically, but spiritually, and you have come to realize that he is King Jesus, and that he is the, the giver of all of life, that his ways are perfect and you want to follow his ways. And even if you fail, you'd like to turn around and change things and do things the right way. You'd like to be unselfish. You'd like to do love your enemies as you ought to. And you start moving in that direction. Do you know what happens to all those things that are written in the books? Instead of being evidence against you, they become experiential. They become lessons of life unto life. That's the miracle of things that happen. You see, God gives us the opportunities to change. God doesn't give you one chance to see who you are and then judge you. If When God gives you an experience in life and, and you fail it, miserably fail it, I mean, you just turn out to be really selfish. Does God say, okay, you've proved yourself. You're a jerk to hell with you. Does he do that? No. Do you know what he does do? He'll bring you around the circle and give you another chance at it. He'll give you the same trial all over again. Slightly different. Maybe you'll get it better the next time. Over and over again. He gives you the opportunity to choose life. You fail. Well, here's another opportunity. Well, you failed that one, too. Okay, here's another opportunity. And you failed that one, too. Okay, here's another opportunity. This is the way God works. Is it not true? Think back over your life a little. How many failures have you had? And when does, has God said, okay, done with you? So far, he hasn't done that, right? There does come a place when God gets done trusting you. Don't forget that. I mean, there is a time for that. But God is so good. God is so good that even the things, even the failures, he just says, okay, wrong. You want to try that again? Here's another circumstance. Wrong again. Okay, try that again. And when you get it right, he doesn't either say, good, you got it right, to heaven with you. No, he doesn't do that either. You know what he does do? He says, good, you got it right. Now let's see if we can make it better. Here's another way of working this out. Can Can you get this one too? It's like a learning experience. Oh, you got that one right, good. Now, how about this? And you see the learning process. Oh, and how about this also? Could you also be unselfish here, just as you have been there? Do you ever get tired of that? Do not complain, my friend. Do not complain that the lessons are hard. For it is the goodness of God that leads you to perfection. Oh, here's another one. And another one. And yet another one. You see, he's making you perfect. Things come by practice. You've all listened to someone play the violin in a most excellent way. Right? Do you think that person got there on the first 
24 hours of practice? Not on your life. No. If anyone can play the violin real well, you know what? He spent hours at it. Hours at it. Hours at it. And all the while he gets a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. That's how it is with everything. Anything that you're good at, yeah, you've done some practice on that. Right? And that's God in your life. For everything that you're good at, spiritually, it's because you've practiced it. Practiced it. Practiced it. Sometimes the practice gets wearing. You know? It's like be done with the practice. Do not complain, friend. It's Practice makes perfection. And that's what God is about. He's making you into his perfect idea of you. Always see what God is doing. I'd like to close with this song yet. Swiftly we're turning life's daily pages. Swiftly the hours are changing to years. How are we using God's golden moments? Shall we reap glory? Or shall we reap tears? Into our hands is given the gospel, the good news. Into our hands is given the light. The understanding, the opportunities. Haste, my friend, let's carry that message to others. God's precious message, guiding the erring back to the light. Every man that hath this hope that God is doing something precious in his life, looks for this, desires it, presses into it, works at it, and gives thanks. For whether you make mistakes or whether you do it right, it's a learning experience. And God turns all of that into something that he is changing you into doing. And I am so thankful. The, see, I don't have the, the Sunday school lesson, but you know the Sunday school lesson ended with the ultimate victory that God is going to have. Okay? And God is going to have a kingdom. Okay? He's going to have it. Um, I just got to get that. Just a moment. It's back here. I want to read it from the lesson here. Yes. I was losing a little bit of my thought. God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And he's going to accomplish that which he's going to do. And he's going to give us his spirit. What an awesome thing. That the spirit of God is going to indwell you and fill you. And all he's going to have to do all kinds of wonders and fire and smoke and judgment and all of those things. Nevertheless, those individuals who turn their heart to him... God is going to deliver them. Isn't that awesome? God is going to deliver them all. Every one of them. Do you know why? Because. Because God is, has planned in, the, in, Joe, in Joel's day here. It had not yet come to pass. He said it will come to pass that in Jerusalem, in Mount Zion, And if I can add today, on Mount Calvary, there has been a deliverance brought forth. And the 
forgiveness of sins for all the things that you've done wrong can be just canceled, wiped away, and changed into a learning experience. Are you thankful for that this morning? Are you thankful that at the end of your life, when you stand before God, you can know that all the things that you've done wrong are forgiven? And that God looks at them as a learning experience, not a judgment of your life, not of, well, are you, have you done enough of good things that you can pass? No, none of you have. You've all been great failures. Okay, But when you have this deliverance that has been given to you on Mount Calvary, all of those wrong things become learning experiences. Is that the way you take them today? Is that the way you have transformed your life? Are you willing to make them learning experiences and to follow after King Jesus? If you have this hope, you'll do that. Thank you.